Three decades of experience for Fran Caradonna is not common yet in the craft beer industry. And while we do hear from some of the major players of the 90s, Friday night we talked to Schlafly's CEO, Fran Caradonna, to talk about the changes in the industry throughout the decades, how Schlafly has both grown and receded during its time, and what the future of the community and industry holds. A great episode on what's important then can be important now. Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's Better on Draft. Welcome, everybody. Episode 310 of the Better on Draft podcast. My name is Ken. Thank you so much for joining us at our brand new 7.15 p.m. Eastern start time. Uh, I am going to go around and see what everybody is drinking. First with myself, I have got a Kolsch uh, from the brewery Chef Schlafly. Uh, Rob, what do you got over there? And starting at 7.15, almost felt like we we're doing a little TBS. We're going to start things at 7.05, but I've got myself a uh, Shorts uh, Thirst Mutilator, which is a uh, basically a hop water infused with lemon-lime flavor. Perfect for uh, dry January. Danny, what do you got? Um, the uh, Bell Visor from Bell Woods Brewing out of uh, Toronto, I believe. And Daniel over in Arizona. Hey, since I am doing January, dry January till the 26th, I'm drinking me uh, Liquid Death Sparkling Water. I'm laughing, but that's not the the first time that I've done dry January until the end of January for a a specific event that we attended. (laughs) Uh, Well, we do have uh, in our studio right now online a guest. Why don't you say hello? Tell us uh, who you are, uh, what you do, and what you're drinking. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Caradonna. I'm the CEO of the St. Louis Brewery, known for Schlafly beers, and I am drinking a Schlafly, just a bit hazy, IPA, uh, one of our fastest growing beers that we've got right now, and very tasty. No dry January for me, maybe just a little <laughs> dampness here and there. Well, let's let's bring that up just real quick. Uh, as you are in one of the uh, tap houses, you guys have multiple tap rooms over in the Midwest, the St. Louis and Illinois area. Uh, do you guys service non-alcoholic uh, drinkers there? What do you guys uh, give out or offer while they are there? We do. We are currently partnering with Wellbeing Brewing Company and we have all their beers. This is a new brand that we made for them. It's called Match Day Light, 35 calories. It's uh, very similar to our pale ale recipe-wise without the alcohol. And uh, that'll be my second beer after my hazy IPA. So we serve all of the well-being brands. They have an IPA and a couple of different wheats and an amber. All very good. And if you guys have not heard, you can actually go back to episode 263. It's from July of last year. We had uh, Tom Halaska on from Wellbeing to learn all about that brewery. Uh, but we are here uh, with Fran to talk about Schlafly. Uh, am I saying that right? Is I, I, I'm self-conscious now after saying it wrong for a good month and a half. We have a, one of our, our uh, taglines is Schlafly, hard to say, easy to love. So you're not alone. It is hard to say. 
Schlafly. <laughs> but if you if you just say Schlafly, we know what you mean. <laughs> All right. It, it almost sounds like shellacking. So I think yeah. that that's how I'm gonna gonna start it off as Schlafly. Uh, now you started your career, not with beer, but with brewing, uh, when you worked at O'Fallon brewery, um, based on what I saw with your LinkedIn, are you still with them? And what are you doing with uh, O'Fallon currently? And what did you do? Well, the, the, the story actually goes back a little bit before O'Fallon, uh, when, uh, my partner and then husband, Tony Caradonna started a little small beer distributorship in St. Louis in 1990, which was about almost two years before Schlafly was founded. And uh, I kept my day job and he went around the Midwest and found breweries that, uh, and he said, hey, can I sell your beer in St. Louis? And so he picked up a few brands along the way. One of them that he picked up was a beer called Pete's Wicked Ale, which some of you might be old enough to remember. And, um, and then eventually Schlafly opened up after Signature Beer had been around for a couple of years. And we eventually got the distribution rights to Schlafly. And we partnered with Schlafly from 90, about 94 to about 99 to help distribute Schlafly packaged beer throughout St. Louis. And so uh, I was actually working very closely with our friends from Schlafly uh, back in the 90s before 2000. Uh, eventually, a big distributor, major brands came along and picked us up, and um, we took the profits from Signature Beer, and we started O'Fallon Brewery. Am I echoing? No, that's that's uh, one of our co-hosts. We'll, uh, we'll okay, make sure that, that's fine. That's, that's not you. Um, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so... I guess my question to you, at least to start off with, um, for craft beer, because the, the 90s are way different than the 2000s, than even the 2010s to, to current post-COVID uh, craft beer. I, I have a very deep question to ask you before I pass this off to Dan, <laughs> um, which is, what is something that you think we could learn from the 90s micro or craft beer scene um, that you think could improve in today's product or um, today's business model for craft beer? That's a really good question. And the answer is, stay close to your customers. Listen to the people who love your beer and they will tell you what they want to drink. Right now they're telling us they want to drink more non-alcoholic stuff. They don't want to drink only non-alcoholic stuff. They want to drink more non-alcoholic stuff. And I think that in the, in the wonderful, beautiful, broad expansion that happened after 2010 when consumers embraced us fully, in a way that they hadn't in the previous 10 years, we got caught up in finding the next shiny thing. What's the shiny thing that everyone's going to want? Let's quick throw it out there. Is it a juicy hazy? Is it a, you know, what is, what is the thing that everybody wants? And, and that's okay. But I think it's really easy to forget to stop and listen to your customers and find out what it is they want to drink and pay attention to that. So I think as we're going into a contraction, which we are, everybody knows that sales for 2022 craft beer sales were off five to 7% across the country. You know, it's a good time to remember to listen to our customers. 
So we've been through these contractions before and we'll go through them again and we'll survive. But uh, always listen to the people. They love our products. And, and uh, if we listen to them, they will guide us properly. You know, I want to bring something up real quick that you mentioned about chasing the next greatest thing. You know, we've had breweries on here that mention that they specifically do that. Um, so I actually love hearing that you don't specifically do that because it all it kind of feels like a sellout. Like hearing someone say they're going looking for the 95th variant of a juicy lactose, you know, IPA is it's terrible. Like other people want to drink other things as well. So I, I really love hearing that. Just want to throw that out there. Um I, you took an interesting route to get to the beer industry. I saw you worked at PBS previously. Yep. Um, working in TV, that's something Ken Schramm also did. That really stuck out in my mind. So what is it about craft beer? What brought you there and has kept you there for as long as it as it has? You know, um, well, beer is fun. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, TV, public TV is pretty fun, but beer is really fun. And... Um, I also love small business. I get into the making the business part work. And, you know, I frequently talk about being in the beer business because a lot of people are passionate about beer, but they don't want it to be their career or their livelihood or their work. They want it to be their passion and their fun. I kind of like the business end of beer as much as I like beer. And the older I've gotten, the less, Beer I can enjoy. It's just a fact of life. Don't get old because you won't be able to drink as much beer. Or do get old, you won't be able to drink as much beer. But um, I I like making something and sharing it with people who like it too. And I think I'm probably the same as the lady who opens up a muffin sh- shop or the guy who's roasting his own coffee. There's something about making a product and sharing it with customers who who it's more than a sales transaction, you know, and beer is just such a, well, it's a historic product been around for since the beginning of human time, practically it brings us together. You know, I always say to our team, people are having an experience when they're using our product, you know, and it's usually a high emotion experience and it's, most of the time, a really happy experience. You get together and share beers with your friends and your family for the good times, also the bad times, but mostly the good times. So I, it's hard for me to think of another product to wrap my head around business-wise that's also fun. And, you know, it's not like selling auto parts or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong here. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely true. Now, being the CEO of the brewery, tell us a little bit about what that entails. Do you have um, your hands in the day-to-day brewing or anything like that? Tell us about what you do on a daily basis there. In in a company the size of Schlafly, which has about 275 employees, we have four pub operations. We have two separate brewing operations. My role is very much about coaching the people who do the real work here. You know, my role is much more of a coach. So there's six people who report to me that in various ways run the business. And we work together as a senior team to manage the business. And I work with each of them individually, mostly as a coach. The thing 
that I think I bring to the ta- to this company at this stage in its life and at this stage in my life is that I have physically done almost every job there is. I've not been a line cook. That's the one job or a dishwasher. Um, but I've been a bartender. I've been a server. I've bust tables. Um, I've brewed. I've packed. I've mucked out the mash tun, you know, at some varying point along the way. I've done all that stuff on a much smaller scale, but I've also ordered the grain, ordered the packaging. Uh, I've done all the accounting, <laughs> you know, on a really small scale. So I can bring what I know about the operations to the business. And that helps me be a better coach to the people that are doing the job, even though they're doing it on a much larger scale than I ever physically did it myself. You know, I brewed 15 barrel batches one at a time. Um, and Schlafly it works on them. And I hand bottled, or at one point we had a little six head machine and I worked on that machine for a little bit. But I think they know that I've walked the walk that they walk now in some sort of form. And I think that gives me a little bit of credibility. The other thing is, you know, I I have 30 solid years in craft beer and another 10 or 15 years of just working life. And, you know, most of the people I work with are quite a bit younger than I am. Uh, and so it's a it's a it's a, I have that to bring. I can share all my mistakes with them and hopefully they can learn from some of those, too. So. Hey, Dan, can I just interject really, really quick? Yeah, I just want to make one absolutely. quick comment. Um, it, it's it's refreshing to know that there are people in in your role as a CEO of whether it's a brewery or even a Fortune 500 company, that there are people out there such as yourself that can honestly say that they've walked the line and they've done the work because we don't, I don't think we see that enough whether it's in a you know the small business world, or dare I even say corporate America as a whole, and I just wanted to say that I I, I respect that and I appreciate everything you just said. It's it's a breath of fresh air for me. I just wanted to throw that out there, Dan. I'm sorry. I I I, I had to I had to fanboy that. <laughs> well, I I appreciate. I gotta say one other thing that I am very fortunate. We are all very fortunate, which is that. The owners of this company, the Schlafly family, are committed to this organization as an institution in St. Louis. You know, they see this as a legacy that they want to leave to the community. And one of the most important things is to them, of course, we have to make a profit. Don't get me wrong. But the driving force isn't about making a profit. It's about being a productive corporate community citizen and i i mean it doesn't get any better than that when you go to work every day and i think all 275 of us who work here appreciate that attitude about the company we work for and the people who drive it and it gives us the opportunity to to really serve people in a positive way so we're lucky. 
Yeah, Nick, I was actually going to say something pretty similar, so I'm glad you jumped in and did that because I think <laughs> I a, lot to, people, a lot I of people, a lot of people, I think respect that. Yeah. Um, now I notice you're currently distributed in, a, if I counted correctly, it's 14 states. Um, what are your plans currently? Are you planning on expanding further, or what's the situation with that? Yeah, we're always looking at strategic um, markets. You know, that's certainly something that has changed over the years. Uh, Schlafly, you know, O'Fallon and Schlafly grew up kind of right next to each other. Schlafly was started in uh, late 91, early 92, and O'Fallon, we started O'Fallon in 2000. And Schlafly was first and has always been biggest in St. Louis. And Schlafly has owned St. Louis. Um, O'Fallon, we were always number two to Schlafly's number one. And... Um, we, Schlafly's business, I get my we's mixed up sometimes because I worked at O'Fallon and I work at Schlafly and sometimes I don't know who we are, but <laughs> we, Schlafly, owned St. Louis and 90% of Schlafly's business for 20 years was in the state of Missouri and within 50 miles of St. Louis. O'Fallon quickly expanded to about 15 states in the first 10 years of its life. And, and at that time we could go to cities uh, like Detroit, like Chicago, like uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and any, you know, the whole across the Midwest, Indianapolis, and they didn't have a lot of local breweries. So wholesalers were looking for craft brands from the Midwest. Schlafly didn't do that the same way. And in about 2010, as more local breweries popped up across the Midwest, O'Fallon's out-of-state business started contracting. And so what we have today is we, ha we have some markets where a regional brand like Schlafly fits and fewer markets where it still fits. They have to be kind of big markets. Um, we have a presence in the D.C. Baltimore area. Um, you know, we we have a presence in the New York, New Jersey area, and I think they're highly populated areas. We recently came into Michigan. What a great beer loving state you are. Um, and we're we're really happy to be working with the Socolas at Imperial, you know, because we know they know how to distribute all different kinds of, of beer. O'Fallon was with uh, Imperial way back in the early 2000s. So we will look for markets to expand to, but I think they're very strategic, like going into Michigan was a, a strategic decision. And there's a few major metros out there that we're taking a look at, but choosing the right market and the right wholesale partner is a really critical part of that. And we're not going to rush into it. We've really got to make the right decision so that it works for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And one more question I have for you before I pass it off to Rob here, you had mentioned about the current contraction of craft beer here that's going on right now, especially with things like seltzers with uh, RTDs, things like that out there. Are you worried this isn't a temporary contraction and that we are seeing the um, shrinkage as far as the craft beer industry goes? Uh, you know, I think, I think it's probably not a temporary contraction. 
I mean, I don't think it'll be like over in six months. The way I think inflation probably is going to ease sooner, more soon. But I think it's probably a healthy contraction. I don't know if that makes sense. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It just means I, the contraction is consumers telling me there's too much. There's too many choices. We don't want all this anymore. And so sometimes the truth hurts. And the truth is, you know, we've just, we, we grew as a segment beyond demand. And that's just the reality we have to. So it doesn't worry me because I see what it is and we just have to adjust. And one of the things we've done at Schlafly is expand a little bit on our hospitality business and focus more on the, you know, our own premise business. And that sort of balances things out. But we're probably never going to be a 60,000 barrel brewery again. I mean, maybe, but we learn how to exist and be a profitable uh, uh, growing company. I like to say to the team, growth is not just a size thing. You know, we all want to grow. We just, we don't want to get bigger all the time though, right? I don't want to keep getting bigger. We want to get smarter. We want to get faster. We want to get stronger, you know, and companies can grow without necessarily getting bigger. And I think that is the critical piece of reacting in a contraction is finding ways to grow um, without depending just on volume and, and, and revenue growth. Now, I, I will say that uh, as far as that, I'm not sure, I don't think it was mentioned, but in, in terms of that distribution map, that Ohio was added in there too. Yeah. So as, as those of us in Michigan love to joke that the only thing Ohio is good for is driving through it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not completely that there's, there's, there's a lot of good breweries that are out there. There's, a, mm-hmm. there's some good amusement parks. Um, but as, as there is the rivalry with, with our colleges from, from our state to theirs, that uh, it is it is definitely a, a bit of a bullying mentality that goes between two states. So that plus well, one for Michigan should, on you on that one. You should drive right through Ohio, uh, Ohio and come to St. Louis. There you go. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that that actually kind of brings me to to my first question here. Um, basically, with you guys being. Uh, uh, Schlafly being the first craft brewery in St. Louis and being there, having been there for such an established period of time, um, is there, I guess, first, is there a feeling of being kind of the parent to all of these brewery kids that have popped up around you? And, you know, as you were talking about, you know, listening to the consumer, is it, what kind of challenges do, do you have with having to try and produce what the consumers want when there is the the selection of choice in the St. Louis area and and having Mm. to to essentially fight with them for competition. Yeah, yeah. It's I would say it's less like a parent and more like a big sister. You know, Schlafly's been around a long time, but you know, I can't I someday I'm gonna figure out a way to to track down all the alumni, all the former employees who worked at Schlafly and now work at other breweries all over the country, probably all over the world. There are so many, they're everywhere. And we, you know, I, 
I've always felt it's important for us as a craft beer community to work together because our customers, differently than domestic beer customers, our customers are not loyal to our breweries. They are loyal to our category. By definition, craft beer drinkers love variety. They want to try different beers. And so it's in our best interest to work together and support one another. A rising tide lifts all boats and all that jazz. So we've worked together, you know, now that doesn't mean we don't compete. You know, you can collaborate and still compete. Friendly competition, of course, we want to get a tap handle. Um, but we recognize that there's plenty of business for all of us. And I, that's hard for people to hear me say, but I believe that's true. Um, we had just have to find our own specialty in our own niche. And, and for Schlafly, there's some, the fact that we've been around for 30 years. Um, we've been doing this a long time. Nobody can beat our quality. There's plenty of people whose quality is as good as ours, but we are known for the quality of our beer and the predictability of our beer and, and our recipes, you know, our shtick is that we make beer brewed to style. So if you get a pale ale, it's going to taste like a pale ale. And, um, so people know what they get with us. Um, we do have a lot of fun with, with, um special releases and that sort of thing and we'll continue to do that but um we like to collaborate with the other folks and the other brewers and i think we have to um as a community of craft craft brewers together so i don't know if that answers your question rob does it yeah yeah that, okay. that does and i mean it actually was going you, you kind of answered what was going to be my like my follow-up question because i, I was kind of curious about you know, the feeling of pride of being open so long. You guys have been open for, uh, I believe, uh, for one thing that I saw that you guys, the, the first tap room opened December 26, 1991. That's correct. We just celebrated 31 so, years. 31 years. So, yeah. you know, at a time, at that time, there was approximately only, I think it was about 322 craft breweries that were open. And we've passed we've surpassed 9000 and to be to able believe. to to be able to have the the quality and the product to still you know still be kicking at at 31 is is always impressive i mean we we have our breweries that are here uh that have been in in that same that same scenario with with bells uh and bells being around for so long until now they've they've um sold off to uh lion i believe um but yeah that is it's just amazing to to see you know we're still growing and you know shuffle is is lovely is still still kicking ass so so that is that is awesome um but there was one other one question i wanted to to kind of go into because with being in st louis obviously you've been in the business for a while um like you already stated you started the the beer distributorship with uh signature beer company had o'fallon um at in 2000 and then obviously moving to ceo uh here at schlafly at, at in 2019 um kind of going back to the 1990s you know in a time where craft beer was still kind of in its young post Jimmy Carter ish era. Um, <laughs> I guess 
Tell us about creating a craft beer business in an area where Anheuser-Busch was so dominant that basically they could have been having babies around that time saying Budweiser as their first words. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a really good point. I think a lot of we were behind the rest of the country on craft for the first 10 or 15 years. St. Louis was. And I think one of the reasons Schlafly was the only, you know, and that next to only brewery, there were four, only four breweries in St. Louis for 20 years. And um, we had to do in this market, especially, we had to do a lot of education about what is a craft beer, because people understood beer, you know, the, this, community is extremely loyal to Anheuser-Busch for reasons I think we don't even remember as a as a community of people. And during Prohibition, uh, Anheuser-Busch kept their brewery open, kept people employed, kept families eating during a very difficult time when a lot of breweries just shut down and laid all their people off. Anheuser-Busch kept the community working. And I think, you know, it's almost in this town's DNA to be loyal to that kind of company. So people understood not just the company, but the industry of beer. And so they craft didn't make sense. And they'd say, well, what is a microbrewery? And you'd say, it's a little tiny brewery. And they'd say, well, why is it different? Does it, is this beer going to taste like Budweiser? You know, and we would have to explain to them that this is beer like Budweiser, but it's brewed on a really small basis in a small batch with special ingredients. And there's the brewer over there. Isn't that cool? You can see the guy who makes it. And it took years of educating people. And as we look at the little tiny sliver of the beer market that craft beer had back in the day, whatever the national segment of the market, the national craft beer uh, share of market was 5%. In St. Louis, it was two and a half. We were always half of the rest of the world. And I remember being at a, a craft brewers conference back in about, I think it was about 98 or 99. And I heard Kim Jordan, she was the keynote speaker and, um, you know, founder of uh, New Belgium. and she was talking about the possibility of craft beers market segment growing. And I remember her saying, maybe someday we'll get to 5%, but we're going to have to work really hard to get there. I mean, that's how tiny craft beer was, you know, and now we're well over 15% or we were before the decline. So anyway, um, it made St. Louis a difficult place to compete in for many years. However, once people generally came to understand what craft beer is, along about 2010 when it exploded, St. Louis became one of the best markets for craft beer. And I think we can attribute that in large part to the fact that there's beer culture because Anheuser-Busch was here. And we were named, St. Louis was named, I think, two years in a row by USA Today as the best beer market in the country, the best place to get a beer in the country. I've been told by people from Europe that that St. Louis is known as the beer capital of the U.S., if not the world. And I, we have 
60 small breweries in the city, in the metro of St. Louis. You know, I think that's a little outsized for the size of our community relative to other major markets. It is a great place to make and drink beer. And I today, and I think a lot of that is because of Anheuser-Busch and the, their legacy of beer appreciation that that our citizens understand. Well, all right. Um, one more before I pass it off to to Danny. Um, I, I guess the the question will be short. We'll see see how long the answer is. Um, but this is kind of for uh, people who want to get into uh, a starting their own craft brewery business which is harder making the beer that people want or managing the beer business the hardest part is selling the beer that's the hardest part making the beer not and i don't want to diminish how hard it is to make high quality good beer consistently over and over because that's i don't that's not an easy thing to do but Selling beer, getting your beer. We have a three-tier system. So you got to sell it to a wholesaler who then sells it to a retailer. Or you have to open up a pub, essentially a restaurant, and sell it direct to consumers, which that is its own kettle of fish. So selling the beer is is the hardest part to me. A brewer might tell you a different story. Gotcha. On to you, Danny. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm so impressed by your history. Um, women in beer has not been like a steady increase uphill. You know, it's it's been tough. And um, I'm going to school for brewing and distillation. So I'm so eager to talk to anybody who's been in this industry for a long time. And I just wonder for you, you've done all the things you've, you've, you know, you've stirred the mash, you've bought the grain, you've gone on sales, you've brewed the beer, you've served the beer. So how did you learn this stuff? Was it just by having to do it? Was there any sort of formal training that you had? Like, how did you find like your first, how did you learn? <laughs> I'm entirely self-taught and taught by others. You know, the we got a lot of help from our fellow brewers in St. Louis when we were actually making beer. But, you know, I learned the distribution part. I learned the compliance part. Wreck. I learned that the hard way, trial and error, you know, paying our excise taxes and things like that. Um I learned by doing and because we were very small and growing, it was, I was able to do that. And I, I was the only female in the room for decades. And, um, you know, a a lot of women today in a lot of industries were the only women in the room for a lot of years. Um, but, uh, I've learned that if you just do the work and do your best work and uh, people eventually don't pay attention to what your gender is, um, fortunately. 
And there's a lot more of us out here. Uh, my senior team has two men on it and four women. And um, we have, Schlafly has had a female brewer on staff since the second or third year um, that it was making beer. So we've, I'm very fortunate to be in an organization that values female leadership. That is really fortunate and encouraging. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you. Um, Um, Nick. Thanks, Danny. Um, I apologize because I was supposed to ask questions earlier, but I had a little bit of an explosion with my beer (laughs) over here. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, not not very good. Um, I want to go back because... This really, really fascinated me. Your role as CEO of of Schlafly, I actually had to practice that 10 times before (laughs) I came on. Um, What is the most difficult part for being CEO of a brewery? We we, we get owners, we get brewers, we get sales folks, we get the marketers, the social media folks, the distributors, we get everyone in between. We get owners on occasion. But to be CEO of a fairly large brewery in a brew in a city, as you mentioned, Fran, sixty different breweries next to Big Brother, AB InBev, or Anheuser, yeah, Anheuser Busch. What is the most difficult part of being CEO of a brewery of this size when you have almost three hundred employees that you're responsible for? What's one of the most difficult things for you? For me, the most difficult part is managing my time effectively um, and staying organized because they're and 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 not doing something that somebody else can do. I've you know it's so easy for me to pick up someone else's job and start doing it because in a lot of cases I've done it before. And I, they can do it better than I can. It's just not necessary for me. So discerning sometimes what is mine to do and what is other, but that's probably the hardest thing for me. I have been such a hands-on manager for most of my career. And this is the first time where I have a job where I really don't have to do anything, literally. If I leave, the place keeps going if I'm not here. And I was, I've always been in small organizations where if I left, then there were certain tasks that didn't happen until I got back. And so this is a different kind of role. And it really, you know, for someone like me who's worked as long as I have, um, it's a chance to share my experience, you know, and help other people grow. And that's, it's like being a, baseball coach in a lot of ways, you know, why don't you choke up a little bit and see if that works better for you, you know, or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever it is. Um, So I think that's the hard part for me is managing my time and recognizing what I should be doing versus letting somebody else to do. It's so I'm in a leadership role at my, at my work. I have, oh, geez, I'm going to, I'm going to get yelled at if I can't remember how many people report to me. Like we'll call it a dozen, (laughs) but a dozen folks 
or so. And I have represented employees and I have non-represented employees. And it's so easy for me to just pick it up and just do it. And I have to constantly remind myself that, okay, you are not doing anyone any favors by doing this yourself. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I'm glad I'm not alone. (laughs) Me too. I'm glad I'm not alone. (laughs) Well, you, I don't, I only have a dozen folk, a dozen people, and some of them are students. So, but you, you got Mm -hmm. a lot more, you got career, you got a lot of career folks that you're responsible for. So uh, it's just nice to know that I'm not alone in that world. Um, I'm kind of was looking through your LinkedIn. You went to the University of South Carolina. Yeah, my game talk. Your game talk. Um, I went to a D2 school, go, go Warriors of Wayne State, uh, but you got your degree in journalism. Is there anything that you learned in your undergrad that even got you remotely prepared to lead a brewery of, 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 of whether it's O'Fallon or Schlafly? Is there anything that you were able to take from those experiences? Because we get engineers that start breweries. We get business folks that end up owning a brewery. I don't think we've ever had someone who had a journalism background. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Basically being number one in a brewery. Is there anything that you've learned that you were able to get from your undergrad experience that got you ready or at least made you a little bit more prepared to take on this role? You know, the only thing that comes to mind, you know, the reason I chose journalism, I was undeclared. I was an undeclared major as long as they would let you be an undeclared major. And then they said, okay, you got to declare, you got to make a decision. And I chose journalism because it had the least requirements inside the major. So you could take all these other humanities and, you know, history and stuff like that. But I think the thing I learned in the journalism school that is uh, is a skill and a and a it's even more than a skill. It's almost a character trait, which is curiosity. And I learned how to ask questions in journalism school. I learned how to really think and write. I, I learned my basic writing skills, communicating skills in journalism school, and. And I learned that if you don't think clearly, you can't write clearly. Mm. And so, you know, I think people can learn that stuff in every major that you have. But in in journalism in particular, we focus on that. Okay. Um, Yeah. um, Being communication key, pretty much anywhere you go. Um, Yeah. As an engineer, my handwriting is terrible. So that's why I rely on <laughs> typing. So if I can't communicate type, you know, type wise, then everyone's in trouble. Mm. Uh, one last question. And it's a fun, I think it's one of my fun questions. I always come up with a fun question before I turn it over to Ken. Uh, not beer related. I'm not sure how big of a baseball fan you are, but in St. <laughs> Louis, I think it's a pretty big deal. You got the Cardinals. Albert Pujols just played his last league season in the majors and he finished it in, in St. Louis where he basically spent almost entire, his entire career for the most part. How does St. Louis do in the upcoming season? Do you think they're going to win the division or do you think they'll slip a little bit? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a Cardinals fan. Oh, what? I'm, Uh-oh. I am, I oh, she- am. 
I, to those I, that are not watching this, she's got up from her desk. Oh, she's a ooh. Cubbies fan. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> I, uh, my whole family is ashamed of that. So don't tell them I just showed you that. uh, My kids grew up watching Albert Pujols and they were there when he set his record in St. Louis. And I, you know, I am, I am a Cardinals fan in the sense that I appreciate who they are to this community. I, I don't follow the Cardinals the way I follow the Cubs. And I'm mad at the Cubs right now. So I didn't follow them last year because they've, you know, gutted the team and we just won't go there right now. But um, <laughs> ultimately, I'm a, I am a Cardinals fan unless they're playing the Cubs. And then I'm a Cubs fan. And I'm always a Cubs fan, even there. if they're playing the Cardinals. So there. <laughs> Fair enough. I like it. I, I love it. I absolutely love that. All right. I'm going to turn it back over to Ken. Ken, go ahead. All right. I got a few questions before we get into our final questions of the night. First of all, I crushed this Kolsch uh, that you guys create. This was smooth, easy to drink, and at 4.8%, this is definitely uh, going to be in my rotation of the uh, the nice, easy to drink when I, when I want to have a beer but not a bunch of beers um, and not feel like I have to crack open one of like my 12 or 14 percenters. Um, what kind of flavors did I just get in this Kolsch? Like what are, what are the tasty notes from it? Um, and my follow-up question, and this is more for one of our previous hosts, Matt Bush, can you add any adjuncts to a Kolsch and still be considered a Kolsch? Mm. I'd have to ask one of my brewing experts that my instinct is no. Um, I'm a fan of the Rheinheiske boat, which says if it doesn't have barley water, hops, or yeast in it, it ain't beer. Um, and sometimes wheat, isn't that what they, I think it's barley, water, hops, yeast, and sometimes Barley, wheat. water, hops. Do they yeah. say no, no wheat? Um, I believe when wheat? it first, when they first did the Rheinheiske boot, there it wasn't yeast because they didn't know yeast existed. No, I, I said wheat. Oh, wheat. Yeah. Uh, maybe? Go, Danny. Yeah, I think if you have a little bit of wheat, they'll still call it really beer. But the point is they can't have rice or corn or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. The story behind that, Kolsch, um, is that Tom Schlafly, some number of years ago, met his wife-to-be, and she was from Cologne, Germany, which is where, and I can't remember the name of the brewery right now, but the brewery that originated the style and the yeast, they actually gave us yeast and we still use that yeast today to make that beer. So that Kolsch beer was, was uh, Tom and Ulrika's wedding beer all those years ago. And, And people loved it so much that we've made it one of our everydays and it is crushable, isn't it? In fact, I think Kolsch may be my favorite beer style. I, I, people often say, what's your favorite beer? And I say, that's like asking me which child is my favorite child. And I refuse to answer that question. But uh, some days it's this one and some days it's that one. But um, the Kolsch style to me is such a drinkable, but yet full tasting beer, you know. So anyway, um I think it's really special yeast and that's partly what comes through and that's partly what you, you must have liked, Ken. Awesome. 
Now, when we think of the Midwest, uh, we don't necessarily think of oysters, but you guys take part in the Stout and Oyster Festival. Uh, before we uh, sign off, why don't you give us a little bit of information on the Stout and Oyster Festival, what it is, how did it become uh, a thing, and why is it in the Midwest? So back in the day, Dan Cotman and Tom Schlafly, the founders of the brewery, you know, they said, we want to make good beer and throw great parties. And, you know, there's nothing to motivate the genesis of a great party than a slow time of the year in the tap room. And so they they came up with the idea, I don't know, it's probably been 20, 25 years ago, to fly in some oysters in March, and they brewed up some stout beer to go with it. And they said to everybody, hey, come have some oysters and stout. And the rest is history. It has grown into the largest uh, stout and oyster, well, really oyster festival in the Midwest that we know about anyway. And it will be the last weekend in March. I think it's the 23rd and 24th. I don't have my calendar up in front of me. Um, And we'll have music. We're flying in 60,000 shells. Um, we'll have several dozen shuckers from all over the country here, professional shuckers, shucking oyster. We'll have oysters on the half shell. We'll have oysters Rockefeller. We'll have oyster stew. We'll have oyster poor boys. Um, and we will have many kinds of stout, some that you can only get this year and this time. We make a different batch of stouts, all different kinds, along with our usual coffee stout, oatmeal stout some of the regular export stout, Irish stout that we make all the time, but we'll also do some special, there'll probably be some barrel aged beers. And um, it is a really fun party and you can come and eat one oyster and one beer. There's no ticket. It's free. You just come and buy the beer as you go, buy the oysters as you go. So you don't, you know, you can come and stay for a half hour. You can come and stay all day. Um it's rain or shine, and I think it would be really worth driving through Ohio to come to the Stout Oyster Fest. We do have to go through Indiana as well, which is yeah. You know, that's, that's is it as bad as Ohio? I don't think it's as so, bad. The quickest way to St. Louis is actually through Illinois. You don't have to go through either. Damn. Oh wait, you do you do have to go through the no, you do have to go through Party Indiana. I'm sorry about that. Forty miles. I was I was like gonna say, Dan, yeah. if you could if yeah. you could have shown me how to get from Michigan to <laughs> Illinois without a uh, going through Indiana um, or another state, I would have been shocked. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that little corner. You got to go through Gary, which is a lovely town. So yes. if you do go through there, make sure to stop by. <laughs> Uh, that is going to do it. Let's go through the final questions. This is the final question before we give you the opportunity to uh, help us figure out where we can get uh, Schlafly uh, in our stores and in our beer glasses. Let's start with Rob. Rob, what's your final question for the night? Final question would be, it, it doesn't have to be all time. So we'll just say one of your top five favorite books of all time. Gone with the Wind. That was pretty fast. That might be even a there top, it is. Top, top three or a top <laughs> one for her. Catcher yeah. in the Rye. I love Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> I, I am particular to, my, like, mine is uh, County Monte Cristo. 
Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. yeah. I like the outsiders, just saying. Huh? Yeah. That was a Stay good one. <laughs> Stay gold, pony boy. Stay gold. <laughs> well, Nick, what's your final question? Uh well, you got AB InBev in town. I'm sure there's some big macro breweries that you like to partake in every once in a while. What is your fate guilty pleasure when it comes to beer? Just one beer. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure? Um, The one macro beer that I drank when it is a hot summer day at the beach and I don't really consider it beer. It's more like hydration. <laughs> it's a silver bullet Coors Light. Oh, okay. All right. Ken, many Thursday nights. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Coors Light? Yeah. <laughs> Five, many a Thursday night. $5 pitchers can't go wrong. Dan, what's your final nope. question? All right. So speaking of Illinois, you know, you are a border town there and have a number of tap rooms. Um, has there ever been talks to expand into East St. Louis? And it, if the answer is no, why haven't you? Um, we're, we are in Illinois, actually. Last January, we opened a small pub in Highland, Illinois, which is only about 25 short miles from East St. Louis. No plans to open to downtown East St. Louis, though? No, probably not. <laughs> although I understand the real estate's probably cheap. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's probably free. You can just set up shop. You know, it's actually the tap room where I'm sitting right now is uh, probably less than two miles from East St. Louis, just across the river. We're right downtown. So it, the reason we wouldn't do that is because it's too close to this tap room, probably. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Maybe you need to do something where you uh, partner and get yourself in at uh, the, the DraftKings at Casino Queen. You know, mix there a little go. Schlafly with some uh, some casino games. It sounds like-, like the voice of experience. Maybe you've... Uh... I, I tell you what, uh, Dan and I, we went to Vegas this year, and the amount of breweries that we hit in Vegas, which was really, really nice, but going to, like, the Chicago Brewery and the Four Queens is probably one of the nicest things to have, is having a nice, good craft brewery in a major casino. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think cool. you got a got an opportunity there, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny, what's your final question? Yes. Um, have you had much Michigan beer, like craft beer? And what would you wish you could get there where you are all the time? Um, I probably could have answered that question better back in the day when I drank more beer than I drink today. I've always been a big fan of Bell's. And I remember when we couldn't get Bell's, now we can, and I'm grateful that we can. Um, But we used to get a cherry beer from Michigan. Does anybody remember a cherry beer? And Bell's had a cherry stout. It was before Um, Bell's. I mean, I think uh, Perrin's got their cherry IPA. That might have a decent distro hit over there. I bet this is an. I bet Better. one of your listeners might remember. This is think back. This is a signature beard. We're back in the nineties now. Oh. It was a company, and their claim to fame was 
a cherry beer and it came from Michigan. I'm going to have to, it might be, I it might have, have to reach from out Michigan brewing works, um, which had a decent distro. Uh, there was a few breweries that, that no longer exist. Um, yeah. That had a decent distro, including including yeah. Big Buck had a decent distro size. Um, so yeah, I if if it's from the '90s and it's not a, a, a Bell's beer um, or maybe Atwater, uh, it's going to be a, a hard to look for for sure. Yeah, I bet yeah. somebody at Imperial remembers, or I might have to reach out to the X and see if he remembers the name of it. But yeah. That was a good beer. That was a really good beer. All right, Fran. My final question for you is uh, one that I've been enjoying asking uh, a lot of our guests. Um, what is the one beer game that you think you could crush your entire 270-plus staff in? Uh. Darts, bowling, beer pong. Are you a secret beer pong like goddess there, Fran? Yeah. Back in the day... Um... Oh, boy, I'm a terrible bowler. I get lucky at darts sometimes. Um, And usually the beer makes me better. Beer pong, not so much anymore. I'm not that good at beer pong anymore. So, yeah. You know what, though? I can can train. I can train to beat them all. All right, Fran, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. That's going to do it for us here at Better on Draft, episode 310. If you're listening live, stay tuned for the news segment. If you are listening via the podcast, of course, the news segment will come out Monday, January 16th. You can follow us on all of our social medias. That's Twitter, Untapped, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, and Facebook, all Better on Draft. Find us on betterondraft.com. Join us in the Michigan Beer Craft Beer Discord in the uh the links below all of our show notes. Of course, you can uh, join Tavora, folks. Tavora is back in Michigan. Use the code Better on Draft uh, when you re-sign up for Tavor here in Michigan. And no matter what you think of your beer, we think it's Better on Draft. Have a good night. <laughs> Peace.